Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. Good to be back together another week um, from the time you're watching this two weeks from now. We're going to be back together. I cannot wait uh, on July 5th to gather again at the school. And so uh, I hope you're looking forward to that, too. I hope that if you're healthy, you're not in that at risk category, that you'll be with us. Uh, as we come back together in the school on July 5th. But uh, for today, grab your Bible, get with me one more time to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. And uh, as you turn there, I said last week, um, throughout this letter, Peter is really encouraging Christians in the midst of suffering and equipping Christians for times of suffering. And, and this whole idea of being equipped for times of suffering, we come to a section of the letter this week that is just so absolutely practical to equip us for seasons of suffering. And so my hope is, especially as we get to verse 19, my hope is this week that if you find yourself in the midst of a time of deep, intense suffering, uh, that you'll walk out of today like, man, I, I, it didn't take the pain away. It didn't take kind of the edge off the sharpness of this, but I feel a bit more equipped for how to walk through this season. And, and, and I know for some of you throughout this letter, you're going, man, I'm not really in a time of suffering. And so some of this doesn't feel super applicable to me that the truth is, and we know this, um, times of suffering are down the road for us. And so I hope today as we close out first Peter chapter four, uh, that we will just kind of tuck this teaching uh, into our file somewhere uh, and pull it back out when we need just really practical help in a time of suffering. And um, I want to read one verse that we're going to come across in this passage. And it's verse 19. And it says this, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And um, we're really going to spend the bulk of our time there just unpacking that verse there. And there's really uh, three questions, three questions that come out of that verse that I want to kind of structure our time here today. And these three questions are this. What is suffering according to God's will? Uh, that's a really, I think, important question for us to wrestle with. The second one is, what does it look like to entrust my soul to God while suffering? And the third one is, what does it uh, look like to, um, what does doing good in the midst of suffering look like? And so I just want to read this whole passage for us. I want us to camp out, really um, kind of uh, find our centralized teaching out of verse 19. And then we're going to walk through these three questions here today. And so First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time, uh, for, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, let's come out of that by just uh, looking at this first question. What is suffering according to God's will? 
Let those who suffer, back in verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's will. What does this mean? You look back at verse 12, and it, and it tells us, you know, kind of all the way back to verse 12, that we shouldn't be surprised at the fiery trial when they come upon us. I think so often, right, we can be guilty, I can be guilty. Um, we say, man, I cannot believe this is happening. And yet Peter would go like, hey, don't be super surprised when you stumble across, when you come across some fiery, intense trials because of your allegiance to Jesus Christ. He says that's actually normative in the life of the Christian. That's a normal experience for the Christian. Suffering happens, but suffering happens under the sovereignty of God. That suffering can actually be part of the will of God. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and so I think it's important that we understand, like, how do these, these two things interact, suffering and the will of God? Now, why I think this is such an important question is um, anytime you get into this realm, it's like, okay, I, there's suffering. Evil has been inflicted on me. Does God inflict evil on me? Is this a work of the enemy? Is this the work of Satan? But, but, how is God like sovereign over that? It is a really complicated, hard thing to understand. And so I just kind of want to try to, uh, the best we can, unpack this. Here's what I'll say about it. God's purposes always supersede the enemy's plans and suffering. God's purposes always supersede the enemy's plans in suffering. Here's what I mean. Uh, sometimes we suffer because of just downright evil things that have uh, been done to us or done around us that have affected us. And that evil is not from God. It is from the enemy. It's from Satan. He's awful. He hates us. He is an enemy. He is uh, violent against us. He hates God and he hates the people of God. And he will inflict evil on God's people in order to inflict suffering. And so the evil things inflicted on us that cause suffering are not from our good father. And so just when it looks like the enemy is one and we're experiencing all this pain and all this chaos and all this heartache, and we find ourselves in a season of suffering because of evil or because of the nature of the fact that we live in a fallen and a broken world. And it just feels like we're, we're done. We're defeated. It looks like suffering is going to win and it's just going to bury us. God swoops in with beautifully redemptive purposes that supersede the pain that the enemy is inflicting. And now I, I just want us to think about this with a couple examples from Scripture. How does this work out? Is it true that the purposes of God supersede the plans of the enemy in suffering? Is it true that there's this aspect where suffering can happen according to God's will? Think about the story of Job. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know the like horrific, gut-wrenching story of Job. If you're uh, uh, newer to the Bible, um, you're like, okay, what's the story of Job? Basically, he lost everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. All of his family, his health, all, all of the wealth that he had, like he just lost it all. He's just absolutely gutted by the events of life. In the, the book of Job, it can be this really like 
interesting and at times hard to understand and process book in the Bible. But uh, Job has friends who come and there's this dialogue throughout the whole book of them trying to come to an understanding of the suffering that's inflicted on Job. But there's this beautiful thing that happens at the end of the book. Um, God answers, God speaks into the midst of this conversation. And as the book of Job is coming to a close, Job says these words in Job 42, verse 5. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. You know, what's so beautiful about that? Think about what Job is saying there. Throughout my life, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but on the other side of this suffering, now my eye sees you. I see you. I see you for who you are. I have a greater understanding of who you are as God. Think about, uh, kind of apply that now to our life, that God's purposes supersede over the plans, the plans of the enemy in the midst of suffering. Um, sometimes God in his goodness allows us to just see him with a greater clarity and a greater nearness and a greater sense of his presence on the other side of suffering in a way that we had not experienced him before it happened. And this is a superseding purpose of God over some evil inflicted by the enemy causing the suffering. Um, think about the story of Joseph. So Joseph, right, he's um, his dad's like favored child and um, his brothers hate him. They sell him. Uh, he's sold into slavery, serving in Potiphar's house. He's uh, rising up in the ranks. There's a false accusation against him. He's thrown into prison. Uh, Joseph's life is just one, like, you, you know, if you're watching it as a movie, you're like, oh, no, I can't believe this is happening to this guy again. Fast forward all the way to the end of the book of Genesis when the brothers are coming back and uh, they're standing before Joseph, and Joseph says these words, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Apply that to your life. Who has inflicted like intentional evil against you? Who has just downright betrayed you in word or in deed? Like Joseph's story, family members, some of the people closest to you just inflicted evil. They absolutely betrayed you. And yet on the other side of that, you can look and see some things like, man, you know what? Those people meant it for evil. But here's what God did in the midst of this. Here is how God turned it for good. This is how God's purposes supersede over the plans of the enemy. This is how we suffer according to God's will. Look at the early church. Persecution breaks out. The persecution spreads these early Jesus followers all over the known world. But as they spread, they carry the gospel with them. And God's purposes of, of, of advancing gospel mission happens through the persecution. The persecution isn't of God. The persecution is of the enemy. The enemy hates these gospel carriers. And uh, 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 they're being physically afflicted for their faith. But God's purposes are superseding over that and spreading them out so that the gospel can spread. I just want us to be encouraged when it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will be encouraged. There is a, a will of God at work in the midst of your suffering. 
that the plans of the enemy might feel like they're in full force and full intensity right now. You might feel like you're, you're done. You're buried underneath of them. Look and see. Lift up your eyes and see, God, what are your greater purposes that you're doing in the midst of this? And if you're in the midst of it right now, if you're in the eye of the storm right now, you're probably not going to see it. This is one of those things that you often only see when you look back and go, I, I get I see the pain. I can still feel the pain of that season, but I see God hovering over it and what he is doing, how he's, how he's, how his purposes were prevailing in the midst of the pain that the enemy was inflicting. And I just think it's important for us to really unpack that, to go, man, what does it mean when it says, let those who suffer according to God's will, is there suffering according to God's will? And there is. Why? Because God is advancing his purposes over and above the plans of the enemy in the midst of the suffering. And so we've acknowledged that suffering can be part of the life of the Jesus follower and part of our journey in walking with Jesus. Uh, The next two questions, though, that we unpack equip us to go, okay, great, that's awesome to know, Pastor, that hey, this is going to be part of it, and God's will is at work in the midst of it, but what do I do? Practically, what do I do in the midst of times of suffering? And this this second question gets at, what do we do internally? And the third question gets at, what do we do externally? Well, like practically, what do we do in the midst of it? So here's the second question. What does it look like to entrust my soul to God while suffering? What does it look like to entrust my soul to God while suffering? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. I want this part of the verse to make us fearless and ferocious for the Lord. This is an Acts 20, 24 reality here. What does Acts 20, 24 say? Uh, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So what is practically what happens when a believer has completely entrusted their soul to the Lord? Let's think about the implications of this. Believers with rock solid assurance and complete hope that they are being held by the Father, that their eternity is secured. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fear. We can walk into the mouth of the fiery trial and say, listen, bring it. Not like I'm being a glutton for punishment, but we can walk into the mouth of the fiery trial and just say, hey, here we go. I can rest assured. Why? Because my soul is entrusted with the Lord. I trust my soul completely to him. We have to, in the midst of the suffering, entrust, completely entrust our soul to the Lord. It rests with him. And this makes us fearless and relentless and faithful and steadfast and hope-filled and joyful and patient in the midst of the trial. So what what does that look like practically? What does it look like when we have entrusted our soul to the Lord. Uh, It looks like this. It looks like the medical diagnosis wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. 
And it looks like that believer in the midst of that saying, you know what, I'm going to entrust my soul to the Lord. I'm going to completely rest and trust in him. And I will not let fear cripple me with the days that I have left on this earth. He holds my soul. I walk fearlessly and ferociously into the face of the fiery trial. It looks like the, uh, an authority figure in your life, boss, teacher, coach, whatever it is, maligning you for a biblical stance taken on an issue. And you go, listen, I, I, my soul is entrusted to the Lord. It's his approval that I am after. I do not ultimately entrust my soul to that authority figure maligning me. I entrust my soul to a higher authority figure, and it allows you to walk fearlessly and ferociously into the face of the fiery trial. It looks like um, the believer who's just completely wasted away in the grief of suffering over a loss in their life. And he's going, Lord, I have no strength. I don't have strength to get to. I don't have strength to physically stand up right now, let alone make it through another day. I entrust my soul to you. You must carry me. You must bring the refreshing to my soul. You must bring the joy into my soul. You must, you must, you must, you must. It's the complete entrusting of a soul for the one in the midst of suffering. And so entrust your soul to the Lord. How do you do that? Voice it. Say it. Tell him. Lord, I entrust my soul completely to you. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, uh, today is the day to voice that. Lord, Lord Jesus, today I entrust my soul completely to you. I make you Lord. You must entrust your soul to the Lord. And this is the inward response of the person walking in the midst of the suffering right now. There has to be this time, this reality where we just go, Lord, I, I surrender. I, re I relent. My soul is yours. You are holding it. It is resting in you. And there is a freeing, empowering fear crippling emboldening reality that happens when we get there it allows us to walk right smack dab in the face of the fiery trial so that's the internal reality that has to happen but to, like practically physically externally like what else are we supposed to do in the midst of the suffering and that gets at the third question we seek to answer here what does doing good in the midst of suffering look like back again at verse 19 therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Then like the last three words, super practical, while doing good. What am I supposed to do in the midst of the suffering? Do good. <laughs> what does that look like? Love, 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 love people. Love those afflicting you. Love those causing the suffering. Love those suffering with you and around you. Love never fails. You look at Jesus on the cross. 
You look how literally, like literally, literally, literally how he loved practically in the midst of the most intense suffering history will ever know. How he ministers to the thief next to him who's, who's also experiencing the suffering of the crucifixion like he is. How he ministers to those who are inflicting him when he literally is praying for them. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Like we look at Jesus for empowerment to be able to do good, to love well in the midst of the suffering. And this is hard. I know this is hard. Listen, you're listening to one who's like the world's biggest wuss when I'm sick. Like, I feel so bad for my, for my wife. I'm just whining and complaining. I'm dying, and she's so faithfully served me well when I'm sick, but I just blow it up and make it the biggest thing in the world. It is hard to do good and to love well when we hurt, when we are suffering. Because when we're suffering, we get all self-focused. I do. I get all self-focused. I go, hey, do you, do you see my suffering? Will you come sit in on my pity party with me? Will you come enter into my woe with me? And listen, Peter says, no, when you're suffering, go relieve another's suffering. Go do good. When you're suffering, go serve those making you suffer. Go do good. Go love well. So let me just kind of expand the application on these two things. When you're suffering, go relieve another's suffering. You know, in, in times where life is hard and painful and I feel like I'm suffering and I feel like the walls are closing in and, oh, woe is me and pity party. You look around. You, 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 you look around our city you look around your, even your own family, you look around the world and you see the suffering that is happening and the Lord says, hey, Brock, listen, like the pity party, you know, let's put that to an end. Lift up your eyes. Go do good. Go love and relieve someone else in the midst of the suffering. The medicine to your own soul, the medicine, the medicine in the midst of your own suffering, when we just lift up our eyes, seek to do good and go relieve someone else in the midst of their suffering. Uh, how about the other one? When you're suffering, go serve those, the very ones making you suffer. Go pray for them. Go love on them. Go speak a gracious word into their life. Not as some like moralistic killing them with kindness type thing, but as a legitimate, you know what? I don't know how this has happened and there's no other explanation for it, but the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work in me, like I genuinely love them. I don't like what they're doing to me. I don't like the pain that's being inflicted on me, but I genuinely love them. Listen, I believe that is only the Christian. It is only the Christian who is able to do good, to love well in the midst of suffering. And now you might go, yeah, but what about this historical example? And this person did it and this person. There's something at the heart level with the Holy Spirit inside of us that enables only the Christian to be able to love well, to do 
good in the midst and in the face of their own suffering. And so, believers, we have to know when we come into the season or if you're in the midst of the season that there is suffering according to God's will, that his, that his purposes are superseding over and above the plan and the attack of the enemy in the midst of it. And what do you do when you're there? You entrust your soul to your faithful creator. Say, you know what? Pfft, I'll walk straight into the face of it. Bring it. Why? Because I already know where my soul lies and where it rests. And you seek to do good. If God's will leads to suffering, harvest, let us entrust our souls to our faithful God and seek to do good. Pray that's a help to you in the midst of it. I pray it's a tool for us to pull out later when we find ourselves in that kind of season. Harvest, we love you. We cannot wait to be back in person as one big family together very, very soon. You are loved and you are sent. Have a great day.